Hi, this is Michael Gebert. So you may remember that the last episode of my podcast was, I said, the last episode of my podcast. I was killing it off in its existing form. Well, as soon as I killed it, it came back from the dead. I was invited to do it live at the Taste of Chicago by the city's Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. It was like hot dogs. As soon as I said it was going away, people were lining up for it. So that's what you're about to hear. But I'm thinking about other things, too. Audio about food for me may well come back in ways and formats that I'll talk about soon. So if you still subscribe to Airwaves Full of Bacon on iTunes or Stitcher, stay subscribed. If you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, keep doing that, too. And stay tuned for more announcements to come. Now, back from the dead, here's the live Airwaves Full of Bacon show from the first day of the Taste of Chicago, July 8th, 2015. We're, we're rolling and all that stuff? Let's get official. When night descends on Chicago, the heart of the city, or the loop as it is generally known, is brilliantly aglow with glimmering lights that lure us to its many attractions. Among the celebrated nightclubs on Randolph Street are the College Inn, perhaps the oldest of its kind in North America and the Bismarck's colorful walnut room, which we now visit just in time to see Don Julian and Marjorie do their fantastic cake dance. Hello, and live from the Taste of Chicago, it's Airwaves Full of Bacon, the Chicago-based food and restaurant podcast by me, Michael Gebert. James Beard Award-winning food writer and video producer for the Chicago Reader and other publications. I'm at the Taste Food for Thought stage at Jackson and Columbus Drive with my special guest, Joe Campagna, former restaurant industry insider and the blogger Chicago Food Snob for, for Chicago Now. During the show, we'll also hear from the great Ina Pinckney of Ina's. So grab a turkey leg and a slice of Elay's cheesecake and sit back as we see if we can keep this going for a full hour on this special Taste of Chicago edition of Airwaves Full of Bacon, brought to you live by the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Welcome. And the music should go up now. All right, so we're here at the Taste of Chicago. Um, this actually played a major part in my coming to Chicago. I'm not saying I was lured to Chicago by the prospect of eight-ticket uh, cheesecake squares in a little cup, but I came to the Taste of Chicago the first time I came here, and I'm from Wichita, Kansas, which probably had, I don't know, 400,000 people or something when I lived there, and I was in a crowd of literally three times that, a million and a quarter people or something like that. That was that was a pretty mind-blowing experience. I would love to say that, you know, deep dish pizza or Italian beef or something changed my life. I have no idea what I ate that time, but I remember being in this enormous crowd. And I think although, you know, foodies maybe look down on the taste sometimes a little because they know to go to the right neighborhoods for those sort of things. But I always liked when I worked around here, you know, coming out and trying African food or something like that. When do you get to do that, you know, in the loop? And 
so I always thought, you know, it, it was a cool thing, especially when it wasn't a crowd of millions and millions of people. I always enjoyed checking it out. I like trying the different things. Um, and at that time, it was the only way to get that kind of stuff down here. You didn't have the food trucks and stuff like that. Uh, my guest, Joe Campagna, was, was just noting that uh, even at the Taste of Chicago, the food trucks are parked 200 yards away from anything else. Yeah, God forbid they're, they're close enough to an actual brick-and-mortar restaurant to put them out of business when it comes to tickets. Right. Since that's so, the law. It's so ridiculous. The Vietnamese tacos are, are not going to be a threat yeah. to uh, Lou Malnati's Pizza. Beaver the, Donuts has to be taste. three miles from Eli's Cheesecake just right. in case a diabetic decide, can't decide between either one. Um, but no, it's funny, like you mentioned that, because for me coming to the taste, I mean, I grew up here. So I remember the taste being, as a kid, it, it was like the hottest day of summer. So you're always like sweating and uncomfortable. Your uncle insisted on having the, the turkey leg. And, and there was never enough funnel cake. Like, but and there was like so many people and all you wanted to do was just sit on the most uncomfortable curb. And after 20 minutes and like just people going by, it's like, send me home. Like, and there was no air conditioning in the car. It was awful. Now there's like charging stations and cooling tents. And, and Chicago's also, gone soft. I don't know. I think they <laughs> pack it up. It's also this very pleasant, balmy day here. That, it is nice. And it's not raining. We have a crowd. I'm pretty it's impressed. It's not raining, it's, which is totally uncharacteristic of the taste. So, um, but yeah, and it, you know, but I think it taught a lot of people about the, the foods that people eat here, such as turkey legs and funnel cake which are known all over the city. Absolutely. Steak on a stick. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, is, that is one of the weird things. Yeah, that, that you know, man, what was the connection between Manny's and, and Turkey Leg? I, I have no idea. I mean, you have the Emerald Isle selling Italian food. I don't get that. It's like Chicago, anything's possible. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. If it was me being a restaurant guy, I would do food that we did at the restaurant so people could come here, get a taste, and be like, oh, this is really good. I want to i got to go to this place that I've never heard of or a place that I don't get to enough. I want to come back. But to do food that you don't even do in the restaurant, and it happens at all the festivals, yeah, but boggles you have to, my mind. You have to make $12 billion of them, whatever True. it is. True. True. you got to make it easy. You can't be doing like really complicated stuff because then people are going to stay in line. They're going to get up there, and they're just going to be pissed. Yeah, I was watching. That happens at other food festivals. I was watching Graham Elliott squirt... Uh, the, the aioli onto lobster corn dogs or something. It's like, hey, hurry up there, pal. We're waiting on corn dogs here. Lobster, my kids are hungry. This is, yeah. <laughs> Can't even. Anyway, I got to go say hi to him after. Yes. Anyway. Um, I feel like we've gone into like that SNL like weird moment where it's like we're talking about like like that weird one with the two women where they had Pete Schwetti come on. I feel like I'm at that like monotone voice thing right now. I apologize. I'm like, really? He's like, and Anyway, all right, what are our, what are our topics? We gotta make, we gotta move, let's go. Topics, okay. Well, food trucks, uh, the food trucks in the news this week. Speaking of food trucks uh, having trouble, I know Ed would appreciate if I actually talked over the microphone. Um, food trucks were in the news. Senator Kirk was saying, hey, what's the deal with not liking the food trucks in Chicago? Which is good. It is, I mean, I, I, my views on this have been well documented and my gripe is well known. I don't understand why the city and why restaurants need protection from the food truck. Like if, if you're an Italian restaurant that is sit down and there's a guy outside selling fried ravioli, if he puts you out of business, you have far greater problems you were sad, than losing sad this shitty, excuse my language, fried ravioli. Like, what are you doing? Who cares if he's next to you? Because it's not like there's not a restaurant next to you anyway. I, so I don't understand the whole competition thing. 
And, and it's actually not easy to get into those food trucks. Everybody thinks it's like, oh, like if I have like five grand, I can buy a food truck. And, that, and that's not the case at all. I mean, for some of those, you still need some serious capitalization. You got to have, have a kitchen somewhere else because you're not allowed to cook on the truck. Well, um, few can. Few can but that's, now. But, that's much harder. Yeah. But the protectionist nature of the city, it's very political and it's weird. And, and the Illinois Restaurant Association who supports this doesn't really stand out for that, which is kind of weird as well. It's like, are you really not going to help a small group in your, in your area? But I'm glad that Senator Kirk is, is going to step up and actually make me put the feet to the fire a little bit and say, listen, if there's a parking spot, do it. And the police have better things to do than policing where a food truck parks. You know, it's interesting. All through, I wrote a lot about the food truck thing as it was taking off uh, for whoever I happened to be writing for at that moment. Um, but deep in my heart, I wasn't necessarily that excited by it. I felt like everybody was making a ball of fried something and it was just a matter of like which nationality of fried something you were making a ball of and i over time it feels like it's gotten better i i they're more interesting things when i do run across them which is rare because i i still don't know where they go no in the no city clue. uh but apparently people do go to them um it does seem like we're getting somewhat more of the promise the diversity of different types of food uh, and the fusion food. I mean, to me, the the, the thing that sold uh, the whole food truck idea was, you know, Korean tacos and things like that. When people from one ethnicity are putting it on a on a tortilla, right, uh, to make an easy, quick food out of it, that's like the best possible outcome. But I think that's still what it is. I mean, when it comes to food trucks, you still have to put out good food. You know, it's, I don't think anybody goes to a food truck expecting the. The, the meal or the food to be any less because it comes on wheels. You know, I, th I think if, you, if you're not good at it, whether you have a restaurant or a food truck, it's just, you're still gonna lose. So you still have the same expectations, especially in a city like Chicago where we have world-class dining. People don't expect to go to a food truck, spend the same amount, maybe a shade less than a normal restaurant and get mediocre food. You'll yeah. do that once, but you're not gonna exactly. do it again. The novelty food truck goes once. Right, um, but how nobody has done a hot dog food truck yet is blows my mind. Is there really not one? I can't think of one. It's the I mean, hot has, dog cartel. Anyone know? Anyone know if there's an actual like hot just a food truck food with a hot dog on it? Like that's the easiest one. How would you not do that? Or like, I don't even know. Or like Italian beef. Yeah. How is that not on wheels? No, instead. That's like the Chicago sweet spot. You get like schnitzel tacos or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm gonna make it really difficult for myself versus just doing hot dogs. Yeah. which is a Chicago thing. Just no ketchup. Just call it the no ketchup wheels and people yeah. will like, you'll make a million dollars. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. All right, well, uh, let's go to a subject dear to your heart. Italian food. Oh, boy. <laughs> you're, you're in the category of hardcore Italian food purists. Uh, my, any, my name does end in a vol, so yes. <laughs> uh, so, is any, any good news in Italian food? Um... I mean, do I have to... Next, next topic, says Joe. No, no, no. I have to qualify. I mean, I like fermentos. I, I've invested in the project because I believe in the, the team and the location and everything else. They still have their warts. Um, you know, but everything else that's opened, I still, I still don't know what Chicago Italian is. Like, people come to Chicago and expect that, and they, or they travel and they go to Maggiano's and think, oh, this is what all of Chicago is eating when it comes to Italian food. And I don't think that's the case. You know, Osteria Long has opened... Um, over in the Logan Square area, and their food's okay. Um, I actually had a much better. Has it meal gotten better recently? You know, who knows versus one meal to yeah. another a year. I mean, apart, a, in a really Conto, Henri is, is doing well, but it's elevated. It's not 
like casual Italian. So for me, like Italian, I still enjoy it at home. I actually bought Mark Vetri's uh, new cookbook about pasta. So I feel like if I'm going to eat pasta and ruin my life with carbs, I might as well do it to myself. So go to Joe's house for Italian food. That's our recommendation. <laughs> but no, like Italian. I mean, I think that's the thing that I struggle with. It's, it's you know, it's not, it's, and then we've had this discussion before. What is Chicago Italian? You know, is it the Sinatra red booth where you expect the boys to walk in and big heaping plates of pasta and, you know, chicken marsala or Vesuvia? And you can get that at the old tried and true places, but I think they've gotten a little old. And I mean, the Las Carola is going to be open for another 20 years because of its name. But if they don't get better, I don't know if the next generation supports that. That's, I think, the challenge for some of them. Well, it's interesting. This is an Italian, but I just uh, wrote a piece for the reader about um, Lou Mitchell's. Okay. And, you know, the same kind of thing. They're trying to do dinner now. And I'm not sh- I think the moment for that might have been 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And there aren't, you know, people, people would take the hip version of those foods that, you know, uh, Stephanie Eisert made that had kimchi on them. Right. But whether they'll actually just go and have... What is Luz Mitchell serving for dinner? Like, are they just doing the same thing? Exact. No, it's not... I mean, I think you get breakfast at 8 o'clock, but it's it's uh, classic Greek diner food. It's skirt steak. It's, I don't know, meatloaf. Who but you can only get that from 5 to 8, and if it's only on the pink card on a Tuesday, because <laughs> that's like all Chicago Greek food right. diners, which I love, and, and I love that they're 24 hours. But yeah, I, I agree with you. The first thing I did was check the menu to see if it said Belgium waffle. <laughs> Because I think there's like there's like the Greek Godfather, and you go to him with your business plan. And he's like, "What is this? He says Belgian waffle. Nobody sells Belgian waffle. Belgian waffle sells, and you have to make it into Belgian waffle." I, I would agree. I think there's a cartel somewhere. <laughs> You're definitely your name has to be specific, and there's no bailouts. <laughs> anyway, that's a bad joke. But no, I, I think Lou Mitchell's going to to do dinner. I mean, who, who's sitting around? I feel very down right now. Like I'm like. <laughs> Just crapping all over everything, but it's like one and of those yet, restaurants at, open like crazy, so it's right. gotta well, be. Well, they you. do, but it's like you look at it, like the business plan. It's like Lou, buddy, like you're doing great. Just open for breakfast all the time. If people want a patty melt at 8 a.m., give them a patty melt. If they want it at nine o'clock, give them that. Or the other thing is, is find the 22-year-old kid in the family who just got out of culinary school and wants to do weird stuff with Greek right. diner. Right, and then you call it a pop-up after eight o'clock, yeah. and everybody comes. <laughs> it's like. I think you got, I mean, that's the hard part about restaurants is they do all open. And I think we're seeing some restaurants kind of shake out and and start to close. Part of that, I mean, the restaurant industry is hard. You've got to worry about location. You've got to worry about capitalization. I mean, it's it's not a passion project, but I think you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to do it well. And and if you start to do something you're known for and you're not making enough money, that's the hard part. Like, what do you do? Do you continue to open or close? Because that's the one thing a lot of restaurants, if they open just for dinner, they're still paying for rent for breakfast and lunch times. So how do you maximize that income and, and, and take advantage of that? And I think that's why you see some of them open for lunch and why some restaurants just open for all of it. But you know, I think, I think that's the challenge for Lou. He's going a different direction than a lot of other restaurateurs. Yeah, you well, know, I think that they're in the obverse situation where it's, you know, they're open till three o'clock, but they're still paying rent. So why right. not, no, why that's not exactly serve it. that? But I just don't know, you know, those people, the people with the $400 strollers who now live in that neighborhood right. you know, are, are looking for uh, you know, a, uh, a hot uh, roast beef sandwich on white bread. Yeah, there's no open fish roast beef in that neighborhood. And they're definitely, I mean, they want a good salad with you know, petite greens and, and that sort of thing. But that's not Lou Mitchell's. Nobody's going there for that. Yeah. Unless they really, really hit the mark and change a lot of things up. But, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned a steakhouse before we went on the podcast air here. 
uh, which I've also been to too. Uh, Beef House. Mm-hmm. Beef House. Uh, yes, Beef House. B O U E F H A U S. Still cannot spell. Um, what do you like about that? I liked it a lot. It was actually unique. It's definitely in the middle of nowhere. It's on Western. And if you drive by and you don't notice, was it a cleaver on the sign yeah. or something yeah. weird? It's kind of an esoteric sign. Um, you'll miss it, but it's nice. It's kind of like a quaint neighborhood place that just does really great 30 and 60 day dry aged uh, steaks. And they have great sides to go with it. I, I, I thought the, the corned beef nugget thing that was like a croquette was really good. I mean, I didn't have that. It was, it was solid food, and it's not in a big setting. And it's, it, the, the setting was not typical steakhouse of wood paneling and massive and rushed. It was definitely a little bit more neighborhoody and, and fun. Well, and that's what I think is interesting about it beyond just one restaurant is everyone has been opening a steakhouse the size of the Art Institute right. for, for the last few years. True. And, you know, with the massive wine list, which is designed to really gouge the high rollers and yeah. and all kinds of razzle-dazzle and stuff. And I don't know where you'd go in most neighborhoods to get a steak. When I moved here, that was the thing. There was this kind of supper clubby kind of place where you went to get a steak that wasn't too expensive and it was just in your neighborhood. Right. And those places kind of died off a bit. Or, yeah, or they've like morphed into something else. But I think having a, you know, being able to do a good steak on the menu, whether that's your focus or not, is, is not easy to do. Yeah. And the hard part is, and it was actually a guy that I worked with long ago who, who would work the grill. And he's like, the hard part for me is I cook 50 to 100 steaks a day. So I know exactly what medium, medium well, medium rare. I know what all the temps are. But if you eat steak once every two weeks and you come in and you think you know what your temp is, but it's something else and it gets sent back, he's like visibly hurt. <laughs> like he would get upset. And I'm like, Patrick, you gotta let it go, man. Um, but he would get upset. And I think that was the key is it's, you know, it's educating the people, but yeah, it's, it's where's a restaurant that can do lots of different things, but then also do a good steak. But now you're right, it's a theme park type atmosphere. And that's really just a, a money business play if you're doing a restaurant that big. Yeah, I think for a lot of those places too, they realized that it was just, it was more profitable to make Angus burgers. And that's, you know, all those places turned into sports bars with burgers instead of trying to deal with a steak. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you, you got to do what works. I mean, I think it was when Alpena opened up the, the Lions restaurant, her struggle was everybody's talked about how great the burger was. The problem is the burger's only $12. Yeah. So the chick average is only 20 tops, and she needs a check average higher to, to do lots of other things. So that's the, the struggle that you have on the business side of things. But I think when it comes to a steakhouse, the weird thing is there's more opening. You know, Beef yeah. House Open is kind of like this artsy little thing that's great. You can still get into the service. They're very, like, they're low talkers. They still talk. <laughs> and I was with another restaurant friend. We're like, what did she say? I don't know what we ordered. Um, did she get what we ordered? I had to do that, too. But I think that's just because my kids shouted in my ears when they were little and my hearing shot. But, nice. yeah, I was. Yeah, I was like, eh, where, where, where'd you... Tell me there. But now you've got, you know, Armour and Swift opening over in the Fulton Market District, and that's going to be a massive project by the Boca guys. And they're also opening GT Steak, which is another, you know, riff on what he's doing with fish. So you've got more steakhouses opening. I always joke, none seem to ever close. No, yeah. Flemings, I think, got redone into, um, what's the restaurant? Mastro's? No, Mastro's took over Wolfgang Puck. Oh, right, okay. And that's definitely, a, a, but Flemings is like the only one who closed, and that was a chain. So it's, it's interesting to see that very rarely do they close. I mean, Ruth Chris is still open, and who goes there? Right. 
you know, well, it's just there's a there's a business audience for steak that has nothing to do with the foodie audience for precious little food with microgreens and squiggles and stuff. Right. So right. This, this, steak these, is not steak is not a small thing. These other people who walk thing. among us. Uh, no. It's the more days that it's been aged, the larger the piece of meat, the more important and more expensive it is. Right. But also the more confusing, I think, for the diner. Because I remember the first time I went to Smith & Walensky, I got this potato that literally scared me. It, it was big enough. In the England, it, they call those jacket potatoes. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been dangerous. Um, yeah, so, but I think it would be nice to see the, the neighborhood steakhouse place come back because it's also not bazillion dollars and well and i think that the like opening neighborhood restaurants is like you've got to quay now that's open and i'm kind of curious to get to like i feel like you had everybody open up in river north and, and in certain and neighborhoods randolph and, street and randolph yeah. street west loop the rents aren't what they used to be so now they've got to find a place to go still find the right square footage and to, to do it but i think you're going to see a bit of a resurgence in those neighborhoody joints you know, you know where it's, it's probably the 40 or 50 seats that the neighborhood where people actually live is uh, you know is more affordable than the beaten up warehouse in the scary meatpacking district because that's so hot right now. True, they got to pay for that sign on that the electricity on that goofy sign they put up. Yeah, yeah. Do you see that thing? Yeah. If, if you haven't seen the sign, go to like Fulton and Halstead, turn whichever direction you're looking down Fulton towards west, and you're going to see this horrific sign. And the thing that makes it worse is it costs half a million dollars. It's, it's it came a, from TIF money, but still, a yeah. half a million for this <laughs> it, like weird neon this, sign that is completely unnecessary. It's it's like a little slice of Tampa, right in Chicago. It is very Florida. That is a good call. <laughs> if there was like a flamingo or some sort of palm tree coming out of the end, it wouldn't be a shock. I think that was it. That's the the the, the mechanic place on Ashland. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yes. Uh, that's that's where I would definitely go to get my rims <laughs> if I needed rims. Um, all right, let's see what what else is what else is food news that's been happening lately. Um, John and Karen Shields, who I, I can never remember that they have the same last name, and I want to call them Shields and Yarnell, but they are uh, their former what? He, she was at Char- Charlie Trotter. Did you work with her there? I actually didn't work with either one of them. They were Johnny was there before me, and I've met him, and I've not met Karen, but yeah, they're definitely old Trotter alums coming back to Chicago. Yeah. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's interesting. Like, they went away to Virginia. They did their thing. They did well. They never seemed to be able to catch, whether it was money or location or whatever. But now they're coming back to Chicago. The thing that confuses me is they're doing two restaurants in one space. So yeah. there's an upstairs and a downstairs. That's never worked for anyone. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those where you're like, how do you sell this? But, but yeah. I, I, I did immediately think of Bomb and Bricks. Right, it closed. It's now yeah. like the mid and something else. And yeah. even when it was open, there weren't enough people. But I think with John and Karen, I think the interesting thing is they have the talent, they have the capability, but no one's really eating their food. Like not only not like, in a long, long time. Not in a long time. So the question is, is they've got the opportunity. Can they actually pull it off? And I think they can. But I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be this precious jewel for a while until they can kind of get to the masses. Because the, the industry knows them. The industry is excited about it. Phil Vitell was excited about it. But right. yeah, I don't know the diners knew particularly who they are. And that's, no. that's tough coming in with a very chichi high-end. Yeah, I mean, they, they say they want to do an approachable restaurant, but they also want to do, you know, 8 and 14 courses, which I think is still something that the city supports very well. But I think the question is, is are they known well enough 
to be able to pull that off and hold on to it long enough to actually get it going. Um, yeah, Kevin Pang said that it was the most exciting news on the food scene since the last flavor of Doritos that he had reviewed in the Tribune. So, I'm not even going to comment. On that. <laughs> I can't. I can't even. But yeah, I mean, Kevin. Um, so no, I I think I think it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to see what they do, and I'm excited to taste her food because, like I said, no one's eaten it. Yeah, it's kind of like the kid who's like he throws 98. And he's a lefty. Yeah. You're like, who's seen him? No one. But he strikes out everybody. It's like you see this in like rural papers, but until you see him in the big leagues. And I think Chicago, that's the thing. Coming to Chicago and opening a restaurant isn't easy. I remember reading something about some group from Detroit and how they were going to do something where it could be a date night. It could be a special occasion night. It could be somewhere you can go casually with your kids. And it's going to be in River North. And it's going to be something no one's ever seen before. And I'm like, have you been to River North? Yeah, that's that's. Dave and Buster. Like you've described every restaurant. You're from Detroit. This is not, it doesn't matter what city you come from. Coming to Chicago, it's almost as hard as New York. You just don't have the rents to worry about or twice as many restaurants to, to compete against. But it's still a massive market with expectations that are growing. And I think that's the really hard part that maybe some people don't realize. And, and why some friends I know who would love to come back are like, I'm just going to stay in my city and own it and do really well and not risk a million dollar project in failure because yeah. that's so much time and money. But I think it'll, I think John and Karen coming is a good thing. It's definitely a most anticipated opening, you know, since, since a grace type because they have the capability, you know, to really hit it out of the park. And the question is, will they? And no one will know until they actually open and you eat their food yeah. and can they pull off the service? Yeah. Um, well, let's jump from, high end to something a little closer to what we're eating here at the taste today uh hot dogs was in the news again he's uh, back he's, he's never back. going away he's not going away hot dogs will be a pop-up every three weeks for the next 40 years apparently uh but now it's going to be something you can get in the bleachers at at wrigley field i know i'm kind of bummed like as a guy who has seats up in the upper deck <laughs> where the food is best described as grim um i'm kind of bummed like, I reached out to Barb, his girlfriend, and said, when are you getting to the normal park? Because <laughs> I had bleachers last year, and I could have eaten it, but no. But no, I'm excited. It's fun. He's, he's a great talent. His, the guys who are at, um, what is it, Hot Dog? The, oh, what's the, the other? What's a, his, his Big G. Or Big G, that's it. That's his but, guys who started the guy, their own place serving very similar food. Yeah, like it's not the same, but I think Doug, Doug does great food, and the one thing he never did was capitalize and market and kind of sell out, if you will, when he was doing it, but now he's taking advantage, and he should. I mean, if you can work that hard and then sell it the rest of your life and not really have to own a restaurant again and you get a piece of every hot dog sold at a Cubs game, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> I will sell out tomorrow. Let me do it. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be fun to see what he, you know, where, where that goes. And does he like expand it there? Does he go into the rest of it? Because Levy does the food at all the stadiums. And if it works at one, they'll definitely replicate it. Well, in airports and things like that. Yeah. You know, why not have it out there? Um, yeah, but that's work. Like, you got to do work for an airport. Like, for the, the Cubs, you just give them the recipe. I don't know. Do you? I mean, if, yeah. if Levy handles it and they well, just Well, if Levy's going to do the work at the airport, sure. But I don't think they will. I mean, Bayless has got to actually run that business. Right. For his but, stuff there. But that's also him. I mean, other things have gone True. out there. I don't think 
the Manny's people were watching that Manny's or the Superdog people were driving down from Wheeling to check out no. the Midway one every day. But make sure the uh, the relish was being applied correctly. But True. True. But I, I like that Doug's doing that. And I think he's got some more projects that we'll see from him. I'm glad that, you know, he was a unicorn. He got to do the business like he wanted. I'm open on these days for these hours. I'm going to serve the food I want. If you don't like it, don't come. Yeah. And that's truly the, and he was in an area that wasn't easy to get to. So I think when people complain about, you know, it's hard or it's whatever, it is hard, but it's like, if you want to do it the way you want and you do good, really good food, Chicago will come out and find you and they will support you. And they'll wait around the block in lines when you decide to quit. <laughs> but I think that's the interesting thing with him is that, you know, he really found an audience and captured it, which was great. And now he's able to live on that and do more things and really capitalize on the success he had. And he's still doing it in the way he wants. And if you don't like it, he doesn't care, which is awesome. That's what I everybody also, wants. I also thought it was interesting that for so long he did not have imitators. No. Um, even when he was closed for nine months or whatever it was after he had a fire, no one thought, hey, maybe I should put, you know, tzatziki and feta cheese on a dog and well, see what how was, that What's sells. the place on Clybourne that tries to do that people argue? Franks and dogs. Franks and dogs. It's not the same. Yeah. But, that's but okay. they tried. I, mean, I think it's, it, it's okay if things are not exactly the same. The right. places, you know, put their own spin on it, and that's fine. Um, yeah, it's not, it's been a runner-up. I agree, but I think it's interesting. It's a good point that no one has tried to do it because it's not like Jimmy's and Gene and Jude's and Superdog. It's, it's, and I will argue that it is not the same, but it is close. It's like 95%. It's almost the same thing. It's all Vienna beef. It's the atmosphere. Maybe there's a tweak in how they do it, but there's not a lot of difference, and those have been around forever, and they're awesome, but no one really challenged Doug. Try it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I just started working on a Euros piece for Thrillist of like the best ones, which all I, of them are good, Mike. All of them. All of them are good. <laughs> uh, no, I and I said I'm. I need like three months for this because I'm not going to eat a year. You know, two Euros a day every other day for three weeks to find out what the good ones are. No, I agree. When you do those posts, when you do <laughs> when people, if they actually don't like. If they actually do the I'm work. I'm the only one that goes eat out and eats them. Right. Like when I first started, I was like, I'm going to find the best burger. And I ate like 40 burgers in a month. And after that, I'm like, I can't eat and another burger. And you're only burger. in B at that Right. Point. I'm like sweating. <laughs> and it's awful. And I'm like just slow in general because of all of the meat. But that's the hard part. If you really were to eat all of that food and do it, it's not easy. And to do it with gyros, yeah. you need a physical checkup before, <laughs> during, and after. Well, and and maybe a punch in the sternum to make sure your heart hasn't skipped a beat. You're a brave well, man. That's, that's the thing, too, is it's like, and that really is all the same. They're, they're coming off the same Kronos truck right. at every place. So how do you right. even decide what makes one better than the next? The crispiness of the pita? Crispiness, The, yes. the freshness of the tzatziki sauce like out of that. the jar? Yeah. That's another one. That's the a, cleanliness of the restroom. That's another one where it's like, how do you want to make money? You find a spot, you plug in a thing that rotates meat, you slice it, you put on cold tzatziki sauce and a crispy pita, and you'll make money. Yeah. Like, how American is that? <laughs> it's like... It's amazing. Like, how doesn't everybody do this? Yeah. Like, that was one of the things my father and I would go and do all the time. Like, I'd come home, like, from the city, and he'd be like, hey, you want to go get a girl? And I'm like, does mom know that we're getting gay? He's like, no, can't tell her. I'm like, how many girls have you had this week? He's like, none. Like, all right, well, let's go have one. But that was like, we went to this place in the Burbs, and that was one of those things. And I think that's a Chicago thing where it's like gyro and hot dogs and certain foods 
you can have those things through generations, which is amazing. Because I know, you know, growing up as a kid, going and getting Gene and Jude's with my grandfather was a great moment. I know once I have kids and all of that, I'll definitely do that with them. But I think it's amazing. And those places haven't changed, which I think is really an interesting dichotomy of, of Chicago, where there's places that have been open so long, they do the same thing. They do like two things. They do them really well. They have never changed. And they're just killing it. And then you have restaurants who are like trying to, to reinvent the wheel every day. After 18 months. After 18 months, because they, they can't hold on to a concept. And, and they still can't pull it off. And they can't even execute what they do. Yeah. So it's, just, it's fascinating to me thinking about it. I mean, it's almost kind of like the taste, like Eli's Cheesecake. It's like they're right there 35 years. Whether you had that 35 years ago when they opened or today, it tastes the same. Like how, it's, it's, yeah. that's really hard. Well, they're a factory. I mean, that's Well, true, really... but I mean, still, like that, and that's one of those things, like if they were to change it up like new Coke, <laughs> people would revolt. New, new lighter or, right. or, yeah, or new flavors. I mean, Jal- may- jalapeno popper cheesecake. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Eli's cheese is, uh, Cheesecake changes their logo like Coke is doing in the Middle East to, to promote uh, open-mindedness. But, but yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of, I think, the dichotomy of foodies and, and Chicago. Because Chicago is such the blue-collar town that loves what it loves and will support it to the end and will defend it. Like, people will defend deep dish pizza until they're blue in the face. And then you can ask them, when's the last time you had one? Yeah. Well, I don't know, like three years ago? Like, how are you defending this? You don't even eat it. But, but I think that's the great thing is, is we can support high-end stuff and there's these high and mighty foodies, and I hate that term, who will, who will you know, support the great restaurants that will push it. But then we also have this massive influx of people who are just going to go to the comfort food when they need it and just go get that hot dog or gyro or whatever. I'm curious. So how many gyros have you eaten so far? Uh, we just went and had two. Two? My, my son, Miles, and I went out. We, we got two on the same day and each ate half of it. Okay. So that's as far as I've gotten on this. Nice. I mean, I know a few others that will be on the list, and I have pictures, so I don't have to go have them again. Is Miles ready? Is Miles aware of how many gyros you're going to make him eat? It's like, what did you do over summer, Miles? I ate gyros all every day with my dad. That's great. That's great, Miles. That's why you smell like spice. I think it's... Do it, Miles. But men, go make your dad and you go run for like a mile. For every gyro, you've got to run a mile. (laughs) I'm ready for that. It sounds like a good summer. I don't see what your your issue is. Dude, I'm in. I get the looks. Like, I'm going out with a friend tonight and he's like, hey, I've got to review a place. Will you come eat with me? I was like, sure. He's like, I've got to invite a couple more people because we're going to order a lot of food. And I'm like, this is the first time we've eaten. You realize that, and you've eaten with me, you don't need to invite a lot of people. <laughs> like for my stature, I am very gifted. Like if I was in an Asian culture, I would be revered for the amount of food. They'd be like, how is he not a sumo wrestler? He can eat so much food. Yeah, my, my fiance looks at me like I'm a lunatic. She's like, I know, you just want to see it. She just want to see all the desserts. Yeah, she's seen the future. She has. She's seen the future. Five desserts at a meal. And she's like, how, how, am, I not, how am I not bigger? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, let's take a break. I have a clip. I had, uh, as I mentioned, I went to um, Lou Mitchell's. I went with Ina Pinkney of Ina's Breakfast, which is no more, but Ina is a delightful companion, and she had stories to tell about Lou Mitchell's, which you can read in the reader piece that I published yesterday. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to, to hear her memories of... She's a great one to ask about things that have been around for 30 years. So uh, she talked about uh, 
going, you know, life, life at the taste back in the day. So this here, should be good. Here is Ina. We were invited to do a, a one day um, in their gourmet tent. It was a one day. Okay. So one day, and we were just going to be doing smoked brisket sandwiches and pulled pork sandwiches. And we got it all done. It was the hottest day, and it was Senior Citizens Day. So I lost three thousand dollars that day. Yeah. So I'll tell you when, what. I was at the very first one on Michigan Avenue. Oh, okay. And I had just moved to Chicago, and I had been involved in a, a taste of New York that was in Central Park before I moved here. So when I moved here, I contacted Arnie Morton, who was running it at that time, and said, I'd love to be part of this if there's a place for me. And he said no. <laughs> um, but I went, and it was on Michigan Avenue, and it really was the real taste of Chicago. That was the first time we had ever had Thai food and Korean food, because you didn't go to those restaurants because you didn't know what you, you expected. Right. But there it was, right on Michigan Avenue, right in a little tent. I mean, it was from Grand, I think, to, to Wacker, somewhere around there. And it was sensational. It was sensational. I learned so much about food. I don't remember how many years it was there, and then they put it over Navy Pier, right? Right. So, that was my first experience with real food in Chicago when I moved here. Well, I think as we were saying, one of the things that's happened since then is that there are so many more ways to get access to that kind of food in the area. But it's still it's still interesting to come down here. It's interesting to see your fellow Chicagoans that we don't that we don't run into at, at fancy places. It's that, that if you've never met Ina, it's totally her. Like when you're like, hey, Ina, like, are you going to go to the Taste of Chicago? And she's like, the Jewish grandma, ah, the Taste of Chicago. I went there like 40 years ago, and like I, Arnie Morton told me I couldn't come. Like, what happened? Like, everything, she's always there from the beginning. You're like, I was thinking about getting eggs. I'll tell you, the first egg, and she's got a story. It's awesome. Like, the fact that she can tell you about the very first taste of Chicago and how she lost money. She's also never made money. She's lost money. Arnie Morton wouldn't let her do it, you know. But I think her the, the great point that I got out of that was that, you know, back in the day, the taste was that thing where you got certain foods that you never saw anywhere else. And, and, I, and I think it's amazing to think now where with Grubhub and all of the services and delivery and just the proliferation of restaurants, there's really not a lot of food that you can't get anywhere. Like you want to get sushi, doesn't, it doesn't even matter if you're in Wheeling, you're going to get sushi because somebody's doing sushi out there. Whereas maybe you were only getting, you know, Thai food at the taste or the one time you came in the city because there were two places that did Thai. You went to P.S. Bangkok. <laughs> I sat on the floor, took my shoes off. It's weird. Um, but I think that's the thing, like, the, and the taste isn't that anymore, and it's kind of grown, and I feel like, you know, they're still in that stage of what is this going to be? Like, are we going to have nicer restaurants every so often? Are we going to have dinners here now? Are people going to do that? It's not, is it a festival or isn't it? And I don't even know if there's an answer to that. I think you've almost got to just kind of throw ideas at the wall and see what the people like. And what, they, and what they'll do and like let it stick. Like a podcasting tent. Like a podcasting tent. We have more people coming in. This is amazing. Um, 
But I think that's, that's the big thing, is, is seeing you know, where does this go? But I think Ina brought a great point up. You were getting the food here that you weren't getting anywhere else back in the day. You know, like I only got funnel cake twice a year. If we went to a state <laughs> fair or we came to the Taste of Chicago, I never saw a turkey leg. Like no one, there were turkey, there the were never turkey legs that big Bristol at Thanksgiving. Fair. Well, right, but I mean that's that was a weird place. Do they, is that still open? I think so. Wow. Anyway, uh, teenagers with fake English accents have to go somewhere and to work. Yield in the mustard on the bratwurst. Yeah. You know that the bratwurst is not yield and it's not ang- anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I so love I was, that. I was looking at uh, you know one of the things that was in the news is other other celebrities besides Ina who who have been here lately. I thought it was interesting to see uh, that. You two went to Momotaro for sushi, which, of course, Ireland is famous for sushi. It and, is. And, uh, but the Grateful Dead all went to a steakhouse. The, the, they had, like, a, a party for 300 at a steakhouse. Did they, didn't they get, they got food from Sunda. Did they? Okay. I thought I saw, like, well, there was they were the here implication for of that. Three days, so but they, when the dead are getting steak and sushi, they're not the dead anymore. Like, it's, <laughs> and I'm not saying they've sold out, but they've grown up. Maybe they sobered up. I don't know, but yeah, they're surviving not, members. Yeah. If, if they were the dead, I would imagine them being at La Pasadita in like an ice cream truck at like three in the morning, like just begging for something. But if they're going to Mastros or a steakhouse, eh, I don't know. I'm not a dead guy. I'm not a music guy. I'm a sports guy. But yeah, like seeing my friends lose their minds, and I'm kind of like, was it that good? Like, was it great? And they're like, oh, that's kind of tribute bandish. I remember because Garcia's uh, dead. Like he's gone. Well, and there was uh, there's a guy that my wife worked with who was talking about you know they went to see the dead before Jerry died and they t- took their you know eight month old baby so at least he can say that he saw them. It's like you know that's like you saying that you saw Bing Crosby when you were eight months old. You don't care. It doesn't count. Yeah. It doesn't count. But no, I think I think it'll be interesting. Like if the if the dead truly do no more shows, then that's fine. But if all of a sudden they do like one more last show, and yeah. then because like, I remember in high school thinking I gotta go see the Rolling Stones because they're not gonna tour anymore, and this is it. Like this is my shot. <laughs> and that was, that was 38, 38 years ago. <laughs> not that old, but it's 20 years ago. These guys are still rocking. I don't know yeah. how half of them are alive. I'm waiting for Roger Daltrey to just be the Who. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do an acoustic set. Yeah. And break his guitar. Um, but He'll no. just yell. He'll like swing a microphone and go, yeah! Well, that's the thing. Like Everybody imagines these rock stars to be kind of these goofy dudes er, and, and women being kind of odd. Having waited on some of them, they all eat very well. They drink great wine. <laughs> like It's the thing. Like They sit down and you're like, oh, what's this going to be? Do you really know what restaurant you're in? Because I worked in a lot of fine dining. And they order like good food and it's like, I'll take the 85 roll. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> do what do you? You're going to go wipe the head off a bat in a minute. And you're drinking 85. Per- okay, hey, let's, let's do it. Well, I know the vintner. That's why. <laughs> right, exactly. Or he's invested in the vineyard and all of that. And then you just see, like, this whole generation with a mentality of, you know, these guys are just, they're, they're our people. I'm like, no, they're not. They're millionaires staying at the peninsula in the Four Seasons. Give me a break. You two's at the Park Hyatt, you know. Yeah. If they, I mean, not that they shouldn't be, but it's just it's fascinating to me. And seeing a lot of that, I mean, it's kind of cool. And when they are there and they eat well or celebrities eat well and they, and they order off the menu and they can appreciate it, it's kind of cool because there's almost like a little bit of a bond there where you see that. But then there's parts where they blow your mind. I mean, there was one actor that I absolutely love 
and in the restaurant I worked at, we had rules where you couldn't say things. And this guy was like, oh, I really want to like quote lines at you. <laughs> and he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, when the menu comes up, he puts on Mr. Magoo thick glasses and the menu is here. And I'm just like, what just happened? <laughs> you are like, a, you are truly a 70 year old man who can't read a menu, aren't you? Oh, my God. You were once the consigliere. <laughs> it's awful. Like what? And you know, I was gonna be like, did it smell like Victor? I couldn't do any of them. And I'm just like, oh, the Magoo glasses. Those were great. That was a good one. But it's fascinating when they come in because it's just like you're like, huh, it's it's you. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of neat. So one thing that people have been talking a lot about the restaurant scene, and I've heard this for a while. I heard it from Ina, but uh, it really seems that it's becoming such a problem is that nobody can find anybody to work at their restaurant. We're opening restaurants faster than we can train cooks who stay more than two weeks, apparently. So um, I don't know, what do you, what do you think? Are there, are there people out there and the work ethic is too weird or what, what's th- going on? I there? think it's a couple things. Like when, so one of the restaurants I opened was Graham Elliott and it was interesting. When we hired front of the house, and this was eight, nine years ago, if not longer, nobody, you know, was really opening a lot of restaurants at that point. We had 400 applicants for front of the house. People would show up, and one of my questions was, what can you tell me about Graham Elliott? And they're like, oh, Mr. Elliott's really nice, and you know, he worked at this, like they knew nothing about where they were interviewing. So part of it is you get these people to come in and they want a job, and some of you have to give them a job because you need people, and they know no clue about what they're doing. So it's like, imagine them going to McDonald's and being like, so tell me about McDonald's. I really, really love the Dairy Queen Blizzard. <laughs> and you're like, oh God, I gotta hire you, don't I? Like, you're awful. And then, or you'll ask people who like wanna be an assistant manager and you're like, hey, so you're an assistant manager, you know, we're a new restaurant. We really have not a lot of money to pay people. Like, what is your basic intro salary? You're like, well, I couldn't take anything less than 60. I'm like, what, you're an assistant manager? Like, I'm not making 60 and I'm the GM. So I think there's definitely a struggle. And part of it is, is that people have no expectation of what they're getting into. And, and they're not really preparing for what they're going to interview for, which is, sounds really kind of crazy, but it's staggering to watch. Well, it's not like there's a machine in your house that you could look up articles yeah. on the restaurant you're going to work at. It's on crazy. It. That Google thing was broke. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that, so that's part of it. And then the other thing is that we've opened so many. And now you've got a, a, you know, a definite drain of people who can cook and serve and do that. And I think we all see that, especially I think on the service side, having service standards and a management team who can really hone in and teach people, even if they don't know and have the basic skills and a work ethic, what it is to do service is not that easy. I mean, you think we've all been to restaurants enough that you can kind of figure it out. Hey, do you got the menu? Do you need something to drink? Do you want water? Maybe someplace will serve sparkling. You get an order, you bring it. Like it's not rocket science, they've done this. They've never done it for real, but they've been through the process. So finding those people is difficult. And cooks, I mean, the hard part is, you know, back in the day, and this isn't that long ago, 10 years ago, everybody still knows everybody. So if you work at a restaurant, leave them or do something awful and get fired, or you walk out on your own and you kind of leave a black mark, it's very quick for me to say, hey, Mike, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah, I know him. He worked here. Would you hire him again? Not a chance. So back in the day, you'd be like, okay, I'm not gonna hire that guy, I'll hire somebody else. Now, you're kinda like, I still need somebody. Any warm body. Any warm body who can hold a saute pan or can rock a knife and do some prep, I need them because I'm exhausted and I can't do it. So it, it, 
I don't think we're at a point where it's like sound the, the fire alarms, but it's hard. And I think the younger generation goes to culinary school, and I've definitely heard this from chef friends. They go to culinary school, they get out, and they're like, where's my TV show? <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, you, it, it takes people a long time. It's not that hard, even for like a reality show. Unless your name is a Kardashian, or you win the lotto, or do something really crazy, no one's giving you a show. But they come out with that mentality, and a lot of these guys, like Graham Ellie will tell you, he'd been cooking since he was 19, right? So he's been cooking for 12 or 13 years before he gets on a TV show regularly. He's been cooking 10 years and had four stars from, from here before he got on our Chef. It's not easy, like, and, and there's a lot of guys like that. Some don't want to be on TV, don't care, but others realize that, you know what, I, I better care because I got to market the restaurant, and that's what part of that is. But they get out and they don't want to work. They, they want to be on a TV show. They don't get that it's an eight to 10 hour day. It's hot, it sucks, you know. Well, you know, the other thing too is, I mean, when you meet people who actually are on TV, you realize that they're another species. I mean, when I was at the Beard Awards and I met Andrew Zimmer, mm -hmm. I mean, here's a guy, you know, you wouldn't think he's made for TV. He's this round, bald-headed guy, but, he just glows. There's, there's like magical, magical personality radiating from him, and and you feel like such a small thing next to him. It's well, like, a lot of them, you know, it's okay. I'll go back to doing radio now, sir. But you know this. I mean, a lot of people. If you said, "Hey, would you come on my radio?" So I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's all practice. Like you've got to be able to get up here enough. Know not to sit here and be like, um, well, uh, uh. I mean, that still takes practice because I know I've been on doing these things enough that you have to learn how to speak, how to talk, don't talk too quick, you know, have a cadence, have some personality in your voice. But when you're on TV, he's done it enough and his voice is that, but he gets that side of it. And it's not easy. I mean, you see people, you know, you have to be bigger, so much bigger than like normal in, in your gestures and in your act actions and activities on TV, just for it to seem normal. And then you also have to get past it. If I do anything really stupid, knowing that they're just going to cut it anyway. Because you're almost like a trained monkey. Do you remember that part in Talladega Nights when he's, Will Ferrell is first racing in it and he's being interviewed and his hands start going up and he doesn't know what to do with his hands and what how to get them hands? down? You can put them down. Yeah, I, I totally identify with that. And his voice being is on, like, I really like raisin, raisin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being on TV is just a totally different thing. It's weird. Thing. I mean, like, to give you an example, so I was recently in Montreal with some friends we were at Schwartz's, great smoked meat, smoked meat sandwiches. So we're sitting there and I'm debating, do I get a second sandwich or not? Because that's me, that's what I do, I get two sandwiches. So the lady comes over and she's like, hey, we're shooting in the back for this show. Are you guys from Montreal? And we're like, no. She's like, well, would you mind being on TV? Being and from Montreal? Yeah, she's like, would you mind like talking about Schwartz's and like being on TV? And she's like, we'll get you another sandwich. And my buddy's like, he'll do it. I'm like, she's like, we have to get you another one. I'm like, I was going to order one anyway. So the fact that you're giving me a free sandwich, I'm in. But we sat there, and it's, the magic is that they ask you questions, and you answer the question in your answer. And you know this. Yeah. It's like, have you been to Schwartz's? This is my first time at Schwartz's. We're so excited to be here. And my buddy looks at me, and he's like, you're really good at this. I'm like, David, it's not my first time. Like, I've, I've practiced this. And then when she asks him, how's the poutine, his answer is literally, it's overwhelming. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, come on. Like, it's overwhelming. I mean, really? That's not even how you talk. It was very Will Ferrell-esque, as you say that. I'll have, to, I'll have to send him that clip after this. I feel like this is you eating poutine in Montreal, you moron. 
yeah so there's there is just that that weird sense that tell that cooking has become you know it somehow jumped past white collar profession it jumped straight from blue collar profession to celebrity totally <laughs> like when i went when i at 27 that was many years ago people when i told my parents that i was leaving the corporate world and like my college degree behind to go cook they thought i was nuts but then they realized he's going to work at charlie trotter's maybe this wasn't such a bad idea now if you're like hey, he's going to be a cook that's great he's following his passions it's awesome he's not making any he or she's not making any money like there's no money in this but it's truly the passion and it's it's getting through it but it's much more accepted because there's how many food networks now three four that seem to be showing cooking shows all the time so it's it's definitely something that's out there but the weird thing is is getting back to where we were talking there's not enough cooks in this city people can leave and they'll leave on a whim and suddenly it's a friday and you've got 500 on the books who's who's holding down saute Mark Mendes told me a story about someone who came in to interview and she was invited to sit down for staff meal. And at the end of staff meal, she decided the restaurant was too intense. <laughs> and if the restaurant is too intense when all they're doing is feeding you, yeah, giving you free food. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so when you go to a restaurant and you cook, they, they tell you to come in and stage for the day. So you go in and you cook for a day for free for like seven hours so they can get an idea of you. But the big thing is testing you, can, is your mentality right for what we do? And the big thing is, is you'll walk in and be like, hey, you see that 50 pound bag of carrots? We need those peeled. And you go and you peel them. And if you complain or you don't want to do it, then they'll find somebody else because that's really what a lot of cooking is. It's doing the little things that no one wants to do. It's like, we need somebody to sweep the kitchen. Sweep the kitchen. And a lot of people don't want to do that or they don't want to take notes and they don't really want to get better. You know, for them, it, cooking is not an easy thing. It's almost like, you know, if you're playing an instrument, yes, you know how to play, but you really can't play. You know, that was kind of the joke. Like, you know, people would be like, I can't believe a chef is giving his recipe away. And it's like, yeah, I'll give it away. I know I, you're never going to make it as good as me. It's like I can play the same music as Louis Armstrong, but it will never sound the same. And that's the same thing when it comes to cooking. It takes a lot of time and passion and heart to really get it to be to that level of delicious and care. I think that's the key. And a lot of people just don't want to take the time. It doesn't matter age. I just think that's it. And then you just learn how to, ma how to make 500,000 of them for the taste of Chicago right. for six tickets. How hard was it to learn how to make gnocchi? Well, the first thousand were hard, but I'm on, <laughs> thousand, I'm on number 2,000 now. So it gets quicker. All right. Well, thank you, Joe Campagna. Thank your, you, Mike. Your blog to this day is the Chicago, Chicago Food, Food Snob. Snob, although you took a, uh, a bit of a hiatus, but yeah, you I'm said you're back. feeling inspired again. I'm inspired again. I am. All right. Uh, and uh, mine is Airwaves Full of Bacon. It is uh, online at skyfullofbacon.com. That's my blog. Uh, Airwaves Full of Bacon is the audio part, as you may have cleverly guessed. Um, and that's on, although it's, it also is in, on hiatus, this will eventually be on there, on iTunes, on Stitcher, skyfullofbacon.com. And uh, thank you. Thanks to the people who came out and took advantage of our chairs to eat their Eli's cheesecake. And uh, thanks. Well, that's our show. Thanks to everyone who showed up today to listen. And thanks to my guest and co-host, Joe Campagna and to our remote correspondent, Ina Pinkney. Thanks to Mary Slowick, Alex Hawley, and Ann Hickey of the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, and Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Network for technical help. 
If you want to check out past episodes, or even subscribe to whatever may happen in the future, visit skyfullofbacon.com or search for Airwaves Full of Bacon on iTunes or Stitcher. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening. Among the many well-known citizens of Chicago that we find here are the Honorable Martin H. Kennelly, Mayor of the City, General Charles G. Dawes, former Vice President of the United States, and Messrs. Carl and Otto Weitel, genial proprietors of the Bismarck. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.